It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, and welcome to the Utah Puck Report. I'm your host, Jay Stevens. We've got an awesome episode today. Uh, I think this is episode 13, and we're, we've, got, we've got a great guest who's written an article that's uh, it's definitely hockey-related, and our guest is hockey and Utah-related. And uh, this, is, this is an episode that, that we're, we're hoping is going to reach a lot of people and hopefully help some people in the, pro- in the process. Uh, our guest today, Ben Meisner, former Utah Grizzlies goalie, and uh, great dude. I had, had the opportunity to back him up a few times. And uh, Ben, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Ben, as we talk, where are you right now? I am in uh, Bavaria, in uh, southern Germany, in the city of Batos, which is just uh, slightly outside of Munich. Oh, wow. And uh, this is where you're playing hockey these days. Yeah, I've been in Germany now. This is my uh, fifth year. Oh, wow. So uh, yeah, this is where my uh, career will continue and uh, one day come to an end. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, you know, it's, it's good to know that, it's, that that's where it's going to be. And I, I know that uh, everybody that I know that's played there just loves it. And uh, obviously, uh, that's one of the great things about hockey is you have these opportunities to not only play all over the United States and Canada, but... You know, we've talked about our show in the past. You can end up in Germany. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was unbelievable. I remember when I was playing with uh, with Utah. We picked up. We had a bunch of injuries there, and we we picked up a guy, uh, DJ Yaletto, who uh, had played in Germany for a few years. And I remember, like when he when he first showed up in the locker room, I was kind of. It always been in the back of my mind that I, I wanted to to pursue a career in in Europe somewhere. Uh, and I was just kind of picking his brain about it, and he, he just had amazing things to say about Germany, and at the time, it, it was almost like a little bit of a pipe dream for me to end up here, but then, uh, you know, as a German citizen, it only made sense to come back and play, uh, so I'm, I'm really lucky I ended up here, and it's it's been a wonderful experience. <laughs> That's It's funny that you guys picked up a Utah native, out of Germany, so DJ when he played for the Grizzlies, I, you knew that he was a Utah guy, right? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, he uh, he had just come back from playing Vice Vosser, and uh, I knew he's a Utah native, and I knew his uh, he was going through some tough stuff uh, family wise, so he wanted to be closer to home. So uh, he was an awesome guy, and I remember just picking his brain about it, and it it really just like like wow, like that really sounds pretty awesome, and. Yeah, so it was uh, it was good to kind of meet him early on and kind of really piqued my interest. That's for sure. Yeah, he's a good dude. And so you already had uh, citizenship. You were, you have dual citizenship with Germany and Canada. I do. Yeah. Okay, so we want to get to know Ben a little bit more. Ben, you uh, you're from Nova Scotia. Is that correct? Is that where you were born and 
Born and raised? Yeah, I was actually born in a small town, New Germany, Nova Scotia, which is uh, about an hour and a half south of the capital of the province, which is Halifax, which is basically where I call home now. Uh, New Germany is only about a town of, I think, about 450 people. So uh, my parents still have a residence there, and uh, they also have a residence in the, in the big city there in Halifax, and uh, I, live at, uh, I live in Halifax now in my off-season. Oh, very cool. Uh, Halifax is an amazing area. It's a lot different than, than Salt Lake, that's for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice city, but man, I, I love Utah. I used to, when I first came uh, to the Grizzlies, like uh, right after my college season ended there, I think in the 2012-2013 season, uh, like I, I just fell in love with the city. I was I loved it so much, I was like determined to come back there the next year, and I remember my agent was like, well, maybe here and maybe there. I'm like, no way. Like Salt Lake, that's a that's a place. Like I want to the mountains and the arena and and the fans. I was like, no, I I want to come back here. So well, I really cool. fell in love with the city. That's very cool to hear. Um, I don't remember the exact situation that you came in under. I remember, uh, you came. I was backing somebody up, and then you came in, and that bumped me out. But I don't even remember what the other goalie what the goalie situation was. I don't even remember who we were the affiliate for at the time. You were the affiliate at the time for the Calgary Flames, and I remember uh, I was sitting at home and in my apartment in college, and I was just kind of, I was real beside myself. I was just waiting for the phone to ring, and I was harassing my agent like you wouldn't believe, and uh, and uh, finally the phone rang, and they said, yeah, we got uh, we got a team on the way to uh, California road trip in the ECHL, and uh, they've got no goalie. Their goalie at the time, Adam Morrison, uh, just got called up, and they had Shane Owen there too, who was out with a high ankle sprain. Right. And they literally were on their way there, and they had no goalie. Yep. And uh, I knew that Adam had just got called up. He was under contract with the Bruins there at the time. And uh, so I showed up in Bakersfield, and uh, we did the morning skate. And uh, I was just like, uh, so where's the other goalie at? And they're like, we, we don't have one. And I was like, what, what do you mean? And they're like, yeah, we just got like a, you know, a guy to sit on the bench. He's a local guy. And I was, I was petrified, absolutely petrified. I'm like, man, like you have confidence in yourself as a goalie, but in a way, like it's always a nice feeling to know that you've got a little bit of a safety net behind you. And I was just a rookie coming in and like, I was literally the only goalie on the roster and I was going to be the only goalie on the roster for the whole road swing. And we were going to make stops in uh, Bakersfield, and then uh, I believe we went to San Francisco after that, and then uh, whew, I, maybe one other stop before heading home. So I was all alone five games right away on the road, and I was all the team head, and boy, it was a lot of fun, but you talk about being thrown in the fire right away. There was, that was definitely quite an introduction to the professional ranks. Yeah, I bet. I, that's one thing I, I've never thought about a guy not having. And sometimes I feel like I'm not that parachute anyway, right? Just Because <laughs> in, in the East Coast League, you get an emergency backup in every town. And uh, some teams, like, some towns have a guy like me that just sits the bench for whatever team comes in without a goalie, whether that's the home team or the visiting team. And uh, But a lot of times they're not ready to go in and oh yeah so you just we, have we, to carry guy, that you know ian greenwald i think was his name right oh yeah the video guy yeah he, yeah he sat on the bench behind me in vegas 
<laughs> and he wasn't even a hockey player. I know he couldn't even skate, and like <laughs> awesome guy, phenomenal at his job and and doing all the grunt work. But man, like that that guy, like oh, I had a hard time out there. Like I'm trying to get ready for the game. I'm in the zone, and then like I get out of the net, and Greeny just kind of like just makes his way over, and the guys are like ripping shots at him, and like <laughs> and and like guys are having fun with it. Like they're just trying to. I don't even think they're trying to score. I actually think they're just trying to drill him like as hard as they can, just to have a good laugh. And, yeah. Oh, it was else and it, but stuff like that though you'll you'll remember it your whole life and helps keep the mood light and yeah, oh, yeah. boy this i forgot all about greeny yeah but yeah that was was something but i think he i wish i could remember right off the top of my head but i think he's advanced on in hockey he came in as not a hockey guy and yeah. was doing video and then all of a sudden one year he was doing some assistant coaching and now i think he's moved okay. on he's somewhere else at another college or something and yeah so okay that's awesome. But he's that got. Was, if you oh. looked him up, he'd be on Elite Prospects because he's got games on the bench. So, <laughs> you know? Greeny, the video guy. <laughs> Zero games and uh, no midget games, no junior games, and then right to the East Coast League. So that's pretty good yeah, for guys to get that opportunity. We have a, another local DJ that gets, you know, he gets some time too. And he's, it's the same thing. He's like a, you know, uh, Division four men's league guy, and he gets he gets out there and goes and has fun with it. But my my only concern was is what happens when it you know because it happens you get put in. I've been put in a couple times, and I I you know what it's funny you say that because I was just about to say I watched the highlights and I I don't even know where I was or what season it was, but I I saw like online somewhere and and. Jay Stevens had to go in the net, and I was like, "My gosh!" Like there he goes. <laughs> and you, how did, you did well too. You did reasonably well too. Yeah. Well, I got a shutout. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I got. It's just that. Yeah, it's just one of those things. You know, it, it had been—I can't remember—fourteen years since the last time I'd been put in a pro game. So it was, it was awesome. over over two hundred games that I'd sit the bench for Utah, Great. and it was yeah. And I was. Well, I'm, you didn't miss. Yeah, well, I think it's one of those things where the guys would make a double move, right? And they'd expect the goalie to go with their first move, but I was so bad that I was already still where I, you know, they're coming back to make their shot, and I was still in the first position because I didn't, I wasn't quick enough okay. to go for the first deke. Yeah, maybe, what, who knows? Yeah, well, I was lucky because uh, was, it was one of the nights, it was a Star Wars night there, and it was it was a packed house. There were like 8,000 people there. And uh, oh boy. and they all know who I am because it was just local Utah guys, and I've been doing it for so long. So if I would have humiliated myself, there's nowhere I could have gone and got away from that one. Well, man, you you saw that that guy in Chicago. That's uh, yeah. Oh, what was he? Accountant. Yeah, he's and an he accountant. In the net, he's made like fourteen saves, like against the Jets, like a couple, like unreal, so, ones, unreal. Dude. Yeah, he had an unreal backdoor. Uh, yeah, slide across the crease. Yeah, he that. I could save on Bufflin, and like after the game, he's like, "Yeah, you know, it was pretty good. You know, I had fun." And he's like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and we've got the crazy thing is, is the other Blackhawks uh, emergency backup goalie. They carry three, and they let them take turns going to the games. And one of them is also a Utah native that has that's just uh, really uh, when we start talking about being OCD and being. Um, you know the typical neurotic goalie, right? That's that's a thing. Okay. 
that that's him, and he's his name's Oliver Frage, and he is a he's the other goalie in the Chicago Blackhawks system. He's so if it would have been another night, it wouldn't have been that accountant. It would have been the Utah kid. And I don't know how that would have went, but <laughs> I'm sure he would have done awesome. But it's just funny. I mean, it's every team has one. I had the opportunity. I could have gone and uh, been the e bug for the LA Kings. So that would have been cool. Yeah, I would have. Because they just did it last year. They made every organization pick up a, an emergency backup like that. Instead of just having yeah. one in the minors, they all have one. So, Yeah, I actually know a guy, Justin Goldman. He runs a big uh, site called the Goalie Guild, All Things Goalie. I'm sure you might have heard of it. And uh, oh, yeah. I think he's the e-bug for, the, for Colorado. He's a Denver guy. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, very cool. He just lives it, like, just loves it. Just loves it. Yeah, that's well. It's just the thing, right? Once you're a goalie, you just you just want to keep playing, yeah. and you always think that you can do fine at whatever yeah. level you get put in at. Goldie, Goldie might even take pregame naps with the e-bug just in case. <laughs> I don't know. I, I e-bugged the other night. I, I went, I did the morning skate, and then I heard and showered them, and they're like, "Oh, what are you going to do?" And I said, well, "I got to go to work all day. I got to work work at the radio station. And I got to go wash vehicles and do it a remote." And they're like, wait, you got a game tonight, man. I'm like, yeah, that's that's not a thing for me. I can't have a pregame nap. I got, I got to keep up with my adult life. But uh, they give you a little bit of walking around money too, yeah. Uh, occasionally, you know, um, most of the teams do give you a little walking around money. They they do pay you for your time. It's okay. and I got to tell you, the Utah Grizzlies this time they're with the Colorado Avalanche. I walked in that locker room, and uh, they took care of me like, a, and I think it's more to do with the. Uh, equipment manager they have now and I've got a, his name's Chris Shornock he's freaking amazing and I walked in and you know typically I go in and I have to use my own sticks and whatever he came over I had I had a stick right away and you know it's funny they made me change pants because I had pants from last season that still had the Anaheim Ducks logo on them so gave me a brand new set of pants I didn't keep them but it's just nice, you know. Sometimes you get taken. Yeah. You never know in the East Coast League, and it's and you've talked about that in your article as well. You never know if you're going to get taken care of, or if you're just going to be, you know, they're just going to take every liberty to not pay any money into you. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's an unfortunate reality for uh, for a lot of you know professional leagues of of all levels, not just hockey. You know, you look at the NHL and the AHL; the budgets are you know, pretty vast, and then it drops quite significantly when you go to the ECHL, and then it takes another massive drop to the uh, the Southern Pro League, yeah. and uh, so, yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's an adventure, and uh, it's always nice to hear stories like that of organizations that are, you know, have good affiliate situations, and are getting help and taking care of their guys, and uh, it's always nice to hear that. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's nice to see it, too, yeah, for sure. Uh, so, so Ben, you uh, you have your time in Utah, and uh, it, it's it's awesome to reflect back on that. And right out right before that, I want to mention too that you played at American International College, which was a school I had never heard of before that day you came out of it, and uh, I saw it on your mask or whatever. I remember talking to you about it, and then now we have a Utah kid playing there, Jared Pike. Yeah, um, I'm not surprised that you didn't hear about it. Uh, we were pretty well kept secret in the Division One ranks, maybe, uh, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we were from Springfield, Mass, and a uh, small school, maybe about, I don't know, 1,700 kids. And uh, Oh, wow, I didn't know it was that small. 
Yeah, it was really small. I mean, like, my freshman classes were, like, 20, 25 kids. I mean, it, it was almost like, they, you know, a lot of people made a lot of jokes, and they called it, you know, State Street High School, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, it, it was a bit of an up-and-coming program. Uh, it, uh, it was definitely, for most guys at the time, it was an opportunity to play Division One hockey. And uh, it was an opportunity to prove a lot of people wrong who may have passed on them at uh, other programs. Right. And uh, I was lucky enough to go there. I I really lucked out. I, I walked into a great situation. I played 20, 20 games out of 32 as a freshman and then maybe 27, 28 the next year. And then the following two, I played pretty well every, every minute of every game except for a couple. And, uh, you know, mo- most goalies will tell you, you know, committing to go to a Division One school is one thing, and then actually going into the situation where you know, or you even, not necessarily you know, but you're going to have the chance to compete for ice time is is another thing. You know, with three goalies on the roster and different different moving parts and, and stuff like that, like, it's it's tough to to go to these schools and, and really play a lot of games. I mean, you see guys coming out of Division One schools now who... They go there and they basically don't play a game the first two years, and then maybe they're a starter by their junior or senior year, and so it, it couldn't have been a better situation for me overall. Uh, it was a small school, which is what really appealed to me. Uh, I got to know my professors well, so when the opportunity did uh, come about for me to leave and, and go to Utah there for the last month. Uh, Having a small school like AIC really gave me a leg up because uh, I was able to do all of my classes from a distance online with my teachers' support and with their help and with them, uh, you know, giving me every opportunity to continue to do my work just from a distance, and I ended up graduating uh, with uh, my degree, which is, is something that... You definitely roll the dice on if you're a senior and you want to leave to go play professionally uh, after your senior year ends. Uh, you definitely are rolling the dice depending on the situation you're in and the school you're in. Some guys will graduate. Some guys will have to go back in the summer. Some guys won't. And I was that was a major benefit for me to, to be in good standing there and to have smaller classes and really know my professors. And, right, right. That's and, something you wouldn't uh, have at, yeah. at a major university. Yeah. Even the University yeah, of Utah here, man, you you have 300, yeah. 400 kids in a class, they're not going to know who you are or, yeah. or have the time yeah. to help you out. Yeah, and, uh, like, I, I sat down with them, like, the beginning of my senior season and said, like, hey, listen, you know, there's a, I'm going to test the professional waters when our season ends, and this is how it's going to work, and, you know, I want to structure my classes so that my second semester senior year is as light as possible. And uh, I started the whole process as a freshman to make sure that by the time second semester rolled around senior year that I was basically barely enrolled in school. And sure enough, uh, I worked it out with all my professors and my advisors that my, my second semester I had, uh, I was a teaching assistant, I had a night class, I had an independent study, and then I had like an elective. Wow. So it was, yeah, and I only had four classes and so... Uh, any tests and stuff and any type of uh, work was all emailed to me, and I did it all from a distance. And, uh, yeah, it couldn't have been a better situation for me. That's yeah, that's sure. really cool. That's really cool. So you've always been a numbers guy, and you talk about this in your uh, in your article, how you knew 
like you know exactly how many goalies there are in your league and you know where like basically where you stand. It sounds like you've been that your whole life. When when did this start clicking as a goaltender? When did you know one that you're going to be a college goaltender and at what point did you know that this is what you wanted to do? I want to pursue being a professional hockey player. How old do you think you were? Oh, well, I I always wanted to play like growing up and uh my parents bought another residence in the city to move me out of a, a bad, abusive situation uh, from a coach uh, where I was playing out of. Uh, so they bought a second residence in the city to move me there to give me a better opportunity to play hockey while having their previous residence, my you know childhood home, uh, where our farm was, and they continued to run that from a distance. And... Uh, you know, obviously in Halifax, we have the Halifax Mooseheads major junior team, and, and I mean, the rink is unreal. It's 10,000 people, and I mean, like, if you play for the Mooseheads, you might as well be, like, the, you know, you're the, the big ticket in town, and people know who you are, and so, like, I saw that, and I'm like, man, like, I want to play major junior, but my dad always saw the, the odds I was up against. I was a smaller a smaller goalie. Uh, at the time, there's a little bit biased towards French uh, French Canadian goalies and just the way they were playing the game. And he always kind of was like, "I think I think you should go prep school and go to college." And I wasn't really big on it, but when an opportunity came for me to go to prep school and whatnot, I really I love the lifestyle. And that was around 16. Uh, so I just said, yeah, I think I'm gonna. I think I'm really gonna put all my eggs in the college basket. So it, it must have been around age 16, and yeah, I I pursued it for. I, I went to one prep school for two years in Ontario, and then another one to do a postgraduate year in uh, outside of Boston, uh, oh. in uh, Winchenden, Massachusetts, small little town with another small school. That yes, was only. I, I, I saw those on your. Uh on your elite prospects, yeah. it's it's weird to see, yeah. like, because you don't hear about a post grad year for many high school kids, but they definitely do those. Yeah. They, they just don't talk about <laughs> it as much. I, every prep school kid oh. I know had that offered to them. They didn't, you know, that was definitely one of the Man. things I would have had to do to finish at the prep school I went to. They wanted me. To, you, my grades were brutal. How that came about? Like I, I had basically verbally committed to a Division One university out of Ridley College, and they set me up with a Junior A team in the BCHL. I went out there, and I just hated it. They treated me horribly. I, I was absolutely miserable, and it left such a bad taste in my mouth that I was like, I'm. If this is what it's like, then like I'm done. So I literally walked in the coach's office and said, like I'm, I'm going home. And they're like, no, 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 like, we're going to send you down to play Junior B. And I'm like, no, like, I've, I, if I'm going to play Junior B, like, I'll do it at home with my friends or my family, and I'm not going to live in B.C. to play Junior B. And, you know, disres- no disrespect to that, that league or anything. I know it's, one, it's the premier Junior B league in the country, but for me it just wasn't the right situation. I felt like I was m- moving further away from my dream and, when I left, the school kind of walked away from me, and I, I went home and was basically ready to quit hockey. And I enrolled in university in Halifax, and then I got a call from the former Boston Bruins uh, goalie coach, uh, who's now the goalie consultant with the Maple Leafs, who I'd uh, worked with a lot through my prep days. He said, hey, like, the starting goalie at the Winchenden School just uh, blew out his knee in Switzerland playing soccer with his buddies. So... Uh, you want to come down and do a postgrad year at a school that's stacking to potentially win a championship and 
give it one more try at the Division One dream, and because if you're gonna do it, you'll you'll do it out of here. And I just kind of was like, uh, yeah, well, I guess why not? Yeah, so, wow, what an opportunity! That's how that came about. <laughs> Jeez, I, I've just never even heard of that. That's so cool that 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 was an opportunity for you, and and hopefully that's an opportunity yeah. for everybody that's in a spot where they need that. Um, yeah. All right, Ben. So I, I want to get into. Um, we're going to do a two-parter with you. Uh, things got kind of pushed around today. Uh, I want to do a part where you tell us about your article and how you, you know, how you came about writing it. Obviously, there's some a lot of things that pushed you to that point, and and then I'm going to talk about some of the things that are going on in Utah and some of the resources that we have in Utah for for this type of stuff. And then on the next mm-hmm. episode, I want to have you back, and I and we've got. Uh, Dan Freegain, who's a sports psychologist, and he works with um, USA Soccer and US, like the U.S. men's and women's national teams, and he works with Stanford University, and he works with uh, USA Hockey. Like, if you have to certify anything in USA Hockey, you have to watch a video from Dan about uh, sports psychology and trying to mentally take care of our athletes now. And that mm-hmm. d- definitely hasn't been the case in the past, and goalies typically are the ones that take the the brunt of one being known as neurotic and two just kind of nobody knows how to handle them and so they kind of get uh, yo-yoed i guess as a, as a term they you know they're they have so many ups and downs in the net and nobody knows how to help you when you're down that uh you know, that's that's the stuff I want to discuss, and it, it gets yeah. into a lot. So can you talk to us? I, I know it's right after you played in Utah. You that's you go to Germany in, uh, was that, like 2015? Mm-hmm. So can you run it? Yeah, I, I, th- I think so. Boy, the, the years all muddled together here. Yeah, I can only imagine. My day muddles together. Yeah. I don't even know how you keep a whole hockey career together. But um, So start us off. You, you wrote the article, and... Tell me about writing the article. What you, you called it? Is it just called that? I'm not Connor McDavid, or what? Yeah, it uh, it was uh, the honest truth was uh, the guy uh, the guy who was I was working with who was doing the edits on the article that I wrote. Uh, he wanted to call it "I'm not Sidney Crosby," and I I just said ah, like I I know Sid like Sid's uh, I I train with him and I skate with him every summer. It was a Nova yeah, Scotia guy, right? Yeah, it's like maybe maybe we can you know go another way because I don't want to like <laughs> I don't want to bring like someone who I know into it. So uh, yeah, he uh, he came up with the article uh, title and uh, it was basically the thing that got myself interested in writing it and got them interested in in getting me to write it was the fact that there's a lot of people out there, athletes and whatnot, who are really coming out of the shadows to talk about mental health. The one thing those people all have in common is that the majority of them are some of the best players at their position in their respective sports. And for me, I was going through absolute living nightmare uh, for a long time, and it was only getting worse. And, you know, at a certain point during the journey, I, I decided I really needed to, to get help and and the turnaround for me from where I was has been nothing short of miraculous. I mean, um, you had Dave Amonti on the show uh, a little while ago, and, and he currently represents me. 
as my agent, and I'm sure you could, you know, shooting the breeze with him over a coffee or a beer, he'd probably tell you uh, what I used to be like versus how I am, you know, now. Really? And I've, I've felt the change, and I've felt the way that I'm now living a life I never thought I would ever be able to live. And I just kind of looked at the people who were sharing stories, and I'm like, listen, like I'm, you know, I'm a, a good professional goalie. You know, I'm good at what I do. I make a good living. Uh, but I'm not a household name. And, you know, I feel like there's a lot of people like me out there who are going through this because of the situation people like, our, like us are, are in, where we're really good at what we do, but we're not good enough that we're not disposable, you know? Yeah. And I said, those are some of the people I feel like who are struggling the most because if, again, no respect to Sid or Connor, but if they, if they came out tomorrow and said, hey, like, I'm, I'm really struggling, you know, like, they're gonna, there's going to be a big write-up about it and everyone's going to have their back and it's going to be great and they're going to get the best help. But if someone like me you know, walked in my coach's office and said, like, listen, like, there's something you got to know. Like, I'm battling a lot of demons. I'm not sure that they would go through every step possible to to make sure that I was okay because, like I said in the article, it's a little bit easier when you're bringing in dollars and cents and the fact that I'm a, a really good goalie but not, you know, the best in the world. So that makes me disposable. So then all of a sudden, I'm not really willing to to give up my job on a roster because of the living nightmare that I'm I'm going through. So then I I keep it inside and I suffer in silence and it affects my life. It probably affects my play a little bit. And then before you know it, the whole thing snowballs. So the angle from that point of view of not being a household name and yet struggling so much with the added factors of what minor pro hockey is like in the U.S., which is essentially a revolving door at times, uh, that's the audience I really wanted to reach. And I really felt like, even though I am a professional athlete, that I'm, I'm more like the common person than I am, you know, a superstar. I live more of a regular everyday life and I just happen to, go to the ring for my job, you know? Yeah, and that's uh, that's one of the things, and and for those that haven't read the article yet, like the the beginning of your article talks about you standing on a chair. All you have to do is step off the chair and, mm-hmm. and to commit suicide. And mm-hmm. you, were, you were honestly in that place. And then you talk about the fact that, yeah, I'm more like you than I am these guys that you read about. I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm somebody that's, like you said, I don't. I don't want to use the word disposable, but uh, your your career, and I, we've seen it so many times. I've seen guys with concussions get somehow waived, even though they're trying to deal with a concussion. The guys will be like, "Oh, you're just not trying to get better," and and they get cut. Yep. And, yeah. And, and, uh, and mental, to bring up a mental illness in a hockey locker room or to your training staff has got to be frightening. Oh, terrifying! Because listen, I can't even look myself in the mirror and say that I would be comfortable doing it because I remember when I was playing uh, my first full season in the uh, ECHL, I, I tore my ACL in my knee and I was basically faced with get surgery and have my season end or play through it and, you know, see what happens. And I looked at my, my stats and said, okay, I've got, 
you know, 15 games in Utah. I've got a few games here in Fort Wayne. My numbers are all right. Can I get a job the next year if I call it a season right now and get surgery? And I, I just said, no, I don't think so. So I missed three days, and I played through it. And I finished the whole season with a torn ACL on one of my knees. And to this, to this day, I still don't have that ligament in my knee. And I, I don't know any difference because it's, you know, it's been like that for probably a, you know a large portion of my career now. It doesn't bother me, but if I was a teammate and I would look at if I was somebody else and I saw me sitting there and they knew I was playing with a torn ACL, you know, and I'm sitting there and like I've you know I'm down and I'm depressed and I'm anxious, like you know, would I have would I really said like oh geez like I don't I don't know about the game today like, and that's how I felt. Like right, I, huh. I felt like when I was sitting there before I did this, I, I saw guys playing with like broken bones and like torn muscles and high ankle sprains and like you wouldn't believe the effort that they would do. Like I, I see guys come to the rink and they, they'd be there three and a half hours early because they had to get a massage and basically get their body taped together so they could go out there and play and. And they went out there and they laid it all on the line like they had no issue at all. And I'm sitting there like, man, like I'm 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 finding it hard to get out of bed and I'm I'm stressed, I'm anxious, and I can't be in crowds and I'm I'm scared to go outside and I'm scared of like what might happen if I play bad or I'm scared of this and I'm you know I'm, I'm scared of like if I get in a car accident or you know you're just scared of everything and. For me to, to see guys going through stuff like that and playing through so much pain, I just said, like, no way am I going to talk about this. Like, they're just going to think I'm soft. Right. You know, and they're going to think I'm weak. And So and how, was, how long did you have to go? When did this start? When did you start having these anxiety issues? Uh, it, it probably started when I was a kid. I, I was bullied absolutely relentlessly in school. and uh, And it didn't get any better you know, as I, you know, grew up through the different, you know, grades in school, I had a, uh, I had an abusive coach, uh, through my, my childhood, which is the main reason that my parents bought a second residence to, to move me out of that district to play in the city, to get me away from him and get me in a better situation where I could succeed. Cause they, they saw that I was dying of a slow death there and with the coach and they couldn't they knew the they knew the gist of what was going on and the abuse behind the scenes but they didn't know the full story and you know but they knew and all they needed to know and I really internalized that I really started to really beat myself up a lot and at the time, I didn't know any different. I thought, well, this is this is how it is, right? If you if you get if you play bad and you get something thrown at you, or like you know, if this happens, you you know, they he breaks a stick in front of you and then he waves it at you and you think you're going to get hit with it. Like that's just the way it is. Like, right. and like it just really snowballed because I didn't know any different. I was just a kid, you know, and. As I grew up, I, I started having more trouble socially because I just withdrew because I was basically taught to just go out there, do my job, don't say anything, and, and just be a workhorse. And 
and yeah, so I, I really had a lot of trouble socially, and I just suppressed it, and I just avoided. I avoided people, I avoided relationships, I avoided talking to people, and then it really started to catch up with me when I was in the high school, going into university, because all of a sudden, you've got young men, young women, and, and you're just there, and, and you're behind socially. And then before you know it, like, people are, you know, they, they look at you and they just, you're weird. You know, you don't fit in. And then you, you really internalize it. And then before you know it, you, uh, you're just not trying anymore. And you're just secluded. And when you're secluded, then you, you really start to get depressed. And then, you know, before you know it, more things happen. Then you're anxious because depression will lead to, to anxieties about certain things. You start to fear going into crowds. You start to fear having to talk to people. And, uh, yeah. So and, it's, and then before you know it, you're, you're in a dark, dark, dark place. You keep, you, you've talked about it twice in two different ways and how it just becomes, uh, you don't bring it out in the locker room, you don't bring it up in your personal life. And both of those decisions become just kind of a sip, slippery slope and mm-hmm. it just snowballs. And so we're running out of time. So th- these are the things I want to get to. These are, these are the parts where I think your your message could definitely help. And in Utah, we have had, um, in the hockey community, we've had three suicides that I know of in the past two years. Um, I had a kid that I was coaching commit suicide two years ago. Uh, it's, it's something that is uh, hugely important. We have a high school here that's had, I believe, five or six suicides in the high school um, and it's been among athletes and it's been among just, you know, other peers or, and, and it's, it's a serious issue. And I, I think that what we're talking about now is going to be able to reach somebody. And we have, we have a couple, um, ways to help people right now. And one is, uh, we have an app in Utah called safe UT and it's just that it's, that's what the app is. Safe UT it stands for safe Utah. And that app has a lot of different um, things for it. It helps you, like, if you see a terrorist attack or something that you need to report, you pull up this app. And it, but it also has a suicide prevention or just access 24 hours, seven days a week, it has access to crisis workers. So I, I would want to encourage anybody listening to this that, that this is touching it all. If you feel like that's something you need, I, I would encourage everybody to get that app on their phone. And then also I want to talk about the suicide hotline. It's a national hotline. It's always there. And uh, we, without, Ben, we're going to have to have you back. We're going to have to talk about all the different things, the, the ways that you helped yourself. And as a, as a firefighter and as a paramedic, they've, we have that, it's rampant in our, in our profession as well with firemen. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. one of the things we've been talked about, it's almost like CPR, is, is see it. Once, if you see somebody struggling, and and you kind of get the idea that they are struggling, and they mention anything about suicide, or they're giving their prized possessions away, or you just get the hint that they're depressed to a point where it's not just they're having a sad day. Then you need to talk about it, right? You 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 talk right. about it. You get them. You get a person to talk, and if they won't talk to you, you you flat out ask them if they're suicidal or if they're depressed, and if and then the next part of that is to refer them. So that's, you know, yeah. see it, talk about it, refer it, CTR instead of CPR. Yeah. 
Um, it's, it's so great to hear because, like, a lot of the suicide and, and whatnot is, it, there's a, a few things you'll hear from people is people who are suicidal, they don't want to die, but they just don't want to live either. They're in the middle, and the reason they're there is because their pain has become greater than their ability to cope. Yeah. And that's what we're working on with people to, to help save lives and to help do what you're, what you're saying you're doing as a, as firefighters, you flat out ask them, like, are you suicidal? And because this stuff needs to be talked about, like, you know, you see someone coughing up a lung, you, you go up to them and you say, do you have strep throat? You know, like, this is what we, we want to normalize this conversation to, to save lives because the depression and anxiety, like, that's the thing that I want people to understand is, especially as an athlete, like, you're playing through a broken bone or a fractured disc or like that, that won't kill you. But like depression or anxiety or OCD, like that, that can kill you. Like that is a life threatening disorder and it just needs to be seen as such as, and I look forward to to really getting into more of the nitty gritties of that uh, when we do uh, part two. Yeah, we're and it's not going to be long, man, because we're going to have you in here and we're going to have Dr. Freegain in here and we're going to, we're just going to talk about it because the amazing thing is you're you're a survivor and you're a guy that can can help us and map it out and find a way to get from that point in your life to like you said you're you're living the life that you never thought you could live and now that you know I, I imagine you still have to it's it's a process that you still deal with and that uh, but you're happy now and it comes out in you and and. You know, you were one of the few guys that I played with that I didn't really get to know that well. I, I talked to a lot of the other goalies, and it was it was weird to me that when we this started coming up, almost every goalie that's come through Utah that I've backed up, I can pull up in my phone. But you definitely were a shyer guy, and you're yeah. You I've we've talked we've talked we've talked more in the last you know we talked more in the last two episodes than the ten fifteen or you know, not two episodes, but the two times we yeah. talked on the phone to get this stuff set up. Then we did the ten games I, I backed you up. So it's yeah, it's it's, uh, it's good to hear you coming out of your shell. It's good to hear yeah. like, your your message is going to save somebody's life, and I want yeah, I want to be a vessel great. for that. I want to make sure that we help somebody because it's it's in this community, hardcore. And I want to know yeah. what you did to help yourself and how we can help others. So yeah, for sure. I look forward to it. Okay, well, and uh, so that's going to wrap up this episode. Please, uh, I, I hate to actually have to wrap it up, but I just think we can do this. I'm not trying to sell another show or promote another show or whatever. I just think I wanted to get to know Ben, and I think in the and we need to devote a whole hour to um, how we get through this and find a roadmap and have professionals in here to to talk about it. And Ben, you're it's it's amazing that you're willing to talk about this and be so blunt about it. That's exactly what we need. So I, I can't tell yeah, you how much sure. I appreciate it. Just trying to just trying to do my part. That's all. I feel like uh, like I said, this needs to be normalized and. Uh, I saw other people doing it, and I just really wanted to join the fight too. That's it's amazing. You're you're truly are a hero for it. So again, uh, if you if if you don't have the app on your phone already, get the Safe UT app, and uh, it has twenty four twenty four hour access to crisis workers. One eight hundred two seven three talk is the national suicide hotline. It's always there too. If you just need somebody to talk to uh, to help you get through some of these dark times. Um, and that's going to be it for us with with our podcast. We're going to come back with a, with with we're going to finish this up. Uh, to subscribe to this podcast, you can text the word puck 
to 57500. You can get it off the KSL Sports app. Uh, you can get it off 1035thearrow.com, just under podcasts. Uh, it's under KSL Sports. It's all the places that you get podcasts. So it's uh, Apple Play, or Apple. So it's iTunes and Google Play. Or someday maybe they'll merge. No, I doubt it. Okay, anyway, Ben, thanks so much. And uh, that's it for us. This is the Utah Puck Report. Thank you.